This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. C.S. Lewis was one of the great Christian writers and thinkers of the last century had this to say. There is no neutral ground anywhere in the universe. Every square inch, every single second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Let me say that again. There is no neutral ground anywhere in the universe. Every square inch, every single second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, who put into children's stories this epic reality that there is no aspect, there is no corner, no square inch, no part, no moment in time where God the Father in tremendous love has not and does not say, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I love it. I love her. I love him. Well, at the same time, forces of evil, like treacherous wolves and hyenas, oh, but we want it. Oh, but we want it too. Such is our reality. We live in this cosmic tension, this battle. And every now and then we are able to pull back the veil and see and feel and know kingdoms colliding. And not over things, not for things, but souls. people, individuals, where God says, I love him. I love her. I am devoted to them. And at the same time, Satan with his fangs and claws says, no, they're mine. It's into that reality, within that tension, we've been learning for the last few weeks how to pray, why to pray. We as humans are are placed here on earth as, as the Father's image bearers. 
to bring creation before the Father, to be vessels and bridges of his divine life and strength, to pour it into creation, to be a part of pushing back the darkness and the doubt and the fear. But man, we don't like doing that. We are so content to do it without God, to be God on earth ourselves. And oh, what happens every time we do that? Not once do we ever make things better. We only let hell leashed on earth. We turned over the keys, if you will, and allowed serpentine spiritual squatters to make their way in and out of creation to wreak havoc on that which God loves and is devoted to. And we feel that tension. But into that same reality, God the Father wills and the Son speaks and the Spirit breathes over in life. Jesus enters the story again. He says, let's, let's fix this. Let's fix this. And has given us the privilege of joining him in restoration. And so we pray. We're learning to pray. Interceding prayer. To intercede means to do one of a few things. It means to meet. Right? Do you remember that? We learned that. Let's meet. It means to plead. It means to reach. Think geography, to go from here to there, heaven to earth, your kingdom come, your will be done. To intercede is to reach between two spaces. And sometimes it means to breach, to break through. It's warfare. It's abrupt. It's harsh. We're going to take all those ideas that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And if you haven't been here, uh, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com to get caught up on things that we've been learning in this series. But we have access to the Father in Jesus' name. We, we last week gave you badges. Some of you have been wearing your badges, which I think is pretty cool. Some of you don't have your badges this week, so your prayers won't be heard. So, that sucks to be you, I guess. No, not at all. It's just a little handheld reminder of a very beautiful spiritual truth that you can come before the Father in Jesus' name. You have access. But I have access. But what do I say? I, I have this person that I, I care about and I love, but when I get to the Father, what do I talk about? What do I say? What do I ask for? Is there an agenda that goes with this meeting? Yes. Yes, there is. And th today we're going to talk about what it means to reunite people with the Father. To unite them. Next week, we're going to talk about untying from the strongholds and the chains of Satan. So today, let's meet Let's reach. Let's plead. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to breach. I encourage you, be with us next week as we unpack that. So, we have access. What is the agenda? Two parts. There's two things we're going to talk about this morning. One is the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? And secondly, restoration. 
These are the things that need to define our interceding prayer as we bring people before the Father. We're praying for reconciliation. Big word. It's okay. We'll unpack it. We're praying for restoration. What do those two things mean? Well, we're going to let Scripture define and Scripture shape our understanding. So take out a copy of the Scriptures. You're going to find the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. They're located in the seats in front of you. Carmen's going to have some of the verses up on the screen. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. So it's towards the back of the book. You want to be careful. There's also a 1 Corinthians. Sometimes you can get stuck in one thinking that you're looking at the other. So make sure it's a 2 Corinthians chapter 5, big 5. And then we're going to look at, um, we're going to drill down on verse 18. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. I'm going to read 16 to 21, and then we'll unpack it a little bit, okay? What is reconciliation? And why does it need to be a part of our prayer time as we're interceding with others for others in Jesus' name? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me read verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to the physical according to what is seen. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's awesome. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to reconnect two parties that have been separated. To reconcile. It's to bring together two parties that have been separated, divided. The Apostle Paul makes a very important distinction. He talks about old creation and new creation. So if we're to think about old creation for a second, that we think back at that time, we taught about this uh, last week and a couple weeks ago, that it's the Father's will to create, to share, because God is love and God wants to love and welcome others and share with others and bring others into relationship. And so it's his will to bring about creation. The Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son will speak creation into being. It says that in Colossians chapter 1, all things created, visible and invisible, physical. The Son creates, speaks it, what the Father wills. The Spirit hovering over breathes it into being. But it's not created until the Son speaks it. This is all review. But that old creation has been corrupt through sin and treason. And if you have the story of Adam and Eve in the back of your mind, they are cast out of relationship. They're cast out of paradise into darkness and wilderness where the dragons and the beasts and the monsters rule and reign. 
reconciliation, where that relationship has been broken, in Jesus that relationship is brought back together again. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. They've been reborn, the spirit of life dwelling in that person. And God has given us this ministry of reconciliation to proclaim the message of Jesus, to reconnect that which sin has separated. It's a prayer of rebirth. A prayer of new birth. Here was a soul, is a soul. Because remember, there's no aspect of this universe. No neutral territory. No Switzerland. That God does not claim and Satan does not counterclaim. And so to pray reconciliation is to pray, Father, send your spirit that hovers over this soul. May they be born again. May they be rescued from darkness and corruption and treason and sin. May they be rescued into your kingdom of life and to love, birthing new life. James has some of this in mind in James chapter 5. If you want, you can write this passage down in your notes. Come back, look on it, reflect on it. He has a lot to say about prayer in the end of his letter. James chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 13, and we're going to focus on 16 and 17. I just want you to hear how much prayer is mentioned. It's kind of a big deal. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Just real quick, anyone here suffering? Some? Only Ethan. Sorry, buddy. We had a good thing going. You're the only one. Anyone suffering? Anyone? A few more. Come on now. Own it. Own it. Own it. Anyone suffering? Okay. You know what the answer is? The lottery. No? No? No, what does James say? If anyone's suffering, what should you do? You want to guess? Yes, that's exactly right. You guys are so good. We get out early. Um, Is anyone here among you suffering? Let him pray. Pour out their heart to God in praise, petition, confession, thanksgiving. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to? Pray, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. To anoint someone with oil is, is, is symbolic of the Spirit's presence. We're going to place them under the Spirit's presence. We might do that physically with some, some olive oil just to, to sacrament, to embody the truth that the Spirit is over them and wants to pour life into them. And we're going to pray for that person in whose name? In Jesus' name, that's right, because Jesus speaks it, so we're going to speak it. Good. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives us an example. You want to know who a good picture of this is? This is Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That means he's like us. He's human. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. 
Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he says, hey, when you're thinking about prayer, when you're thinking about life-giving, fervent prayer, you know who you should have in mind? Have Elijah in mind. Elijah, who was up on Mount Carmel. Elijah, who was ministering as a servant of the Lord during a wilderness time in Israel. Israel had given themselves over to idolatry and adultery. Sin had run rampant in the land. Evil kings and queens ruled the land. And so, through the voice of Elijah, God says, we're going to turn this back to, a, we're going we're to turn this to wilderness. It's a little bit of how creation is described in Genesis chapter 2, where there is nothing growing. There is no rain coming down. Nothing can thrive there. It's dried up. It's dead. But into that, in a moment of recreation, Elijah, who steps in as the image of God, prays for rain. And it says, prayed fervently. Prayed in anguish. Prayed in travail. Prayed like birthing prayer. That's that picture when Elijah gets down on his knees to pray for the rain in 1 Kings. He takes this posture of a woman who's about to give birth. He embodies this groaning. He says, that's the kind of prayer that you should have in mind. Of giving birth. I have seen three human beings born. It was intense. There was labor involved. There was groaning involved. Crying out involved. I ate a lot of ice chips in that moment. And when James talks about prayer, birthing prayer, fervent prayer, the kind of prayer by which the Holy Spirit breathes life into someone, he says, have that in your mind. Like Elijah called down the rain upon the dry land. I think it's important to say, though, that let's not confuse a couple things. Let's not confuse what's going on in the spiritual because of what we see in the physical. Okay? I learned that from a couple books I've been reading on prayer and they drive that point home. That I don't have to come down here and get in a specific posture and say things a certain way and muster up a certain physical presence or voice. And then that kind of fills up the prayer battery or the prayer thermometer to such a space. And the Spirit's like, oh, finally, he made it to the right level of holiness. Now I can pray and I can do my thing. Like, oh, Paul, if you would have just groaned a little bit louder, then we would have done something. Oh, Paul, if you had just said the magic words a little bit louder. Oh, Paul, you said the words just out of order. Don't confuse what you're seeing in the physical for what's going on in the spiritual. We can do a lot of things in the physical. And it doesn't reflect anything that's going on in the spiritual. 
Judas showed up for every prayer meeting. Judas showed up for every service. Judas was even the treasurer of the church. And we know the choices that he made. The Apostle Paul grabs a hold of some of these reconciling ideas again in another letter in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19, he's, he's in anguish and travail and toil. He's laboring over the church. There's that word, labor. He's laboring over the spiritual frustration that he senses and feels in the church. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How do you think the Apostle Paul responded to the anguish that he felt? Well, we all know what he did. He complained about it on Facebook. <laughs> because that's really how you get things done. Now, what do you think the Apostle Paul did? He labored in prayer day and night. He describes that in other letters too. He says, I, I have anguish. Anguish, the type of anguish like a, a woman who's about to give birth. I'm anguished and I want Christ formed in you. I want you moving from this place of spiritual death to spiritual birth to spiritual maturity. We have to understand as we're praying for souls and those that we love and those that we're bringing before, the first part of that is Reconciliation. Father, will you meet with this person? Here is one who is lost in sin and death. Father, I would see them born in Christ. The first part is reconciliation. But that continues into what we call restoration. Restoration. If you go back to the first letter that we looked at in 2 Corinthians, and you go to the last chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9. The last phrase in that verse simply says this. Your restoration is what we pray for. that. It's your restoration that we pray for. So have in the back of your mind uh, a, a beautiful piece of furniture, cabinetry that's been given over to the weather that hasn't been touched, cleaned, polished. An old tractor, an old car, something that's been beat up and forsaken by previous owners who's been left to the elements, that's gotten rusted, that's gotten forgotten. Think of a human soul wrecked by sin and treason, corrupted by the past, corrupted in the present. 
the Apostle Paul says, it's your restoration that we pray for. Restoration means brought to maturity, brought to completion. It is what it's supposed to be. You've heard me talk about this before. I've said this to my sons before. I tell it to them all the time. Okay? There's no basement in my house. They are moving on. They're not living in the basement. I've got plans for their bedrooms. Why? Because they are not to live in a status and a stasis of adolescence. This fake wonderful thing that we make, we call in Western society where we let adults act like kids. No, I am preparing them for what? Reality. My eldest and I have these conversations. Not much time. Not much time. He's a junior in high school. Time to make decisions. Time to learn how to do things. Time to feel the weight of your choices. We are not helicopter parents. We are not slow pal parents. You got to do this, man. We are catapulting you forward into the world that you could be an epicenter of kingdom life. Lucas, Aiden, Jackson, you, your restoration, your growth and maturity in Christ. He says, that's what I pray for. I pray that not just you are born into Christ, but that you mature in Christ. Not, it's, it's not your goal to be a child in Christ. Mature, able to maneuver the world with kingdom power and gentleness and presence. That you learn how to control your body. You learn how to be gentle with others. You can articulate the truths of the gospel. You know what you believe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the foundation of your faith. You know how to pray. His kingdom come. His will be done. You know how to walk in the way that is Jesus. We're getting ready to launch uh, and open up a new on-ramp into our foundations program, which is a one-year program that we share on Sunday evenings where we give people that firm foundation. Adults, students, um, we're opening that up. You can get more information um, in my, back by my office. There's sign-up cards inside the notes. Where you are established in the faith. So the wolves can blow and blow and blow and your house not fall down. Paul says, these are the things that I pray for. I anguish over your restoration. He says that in another place, just to hear it in a little different context. Uh, this is in 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says it this way. This is writing to another church, but you can still feel his passion. He says, we pray most earnestly, okay, laboring in prayer, night and day, 
that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So where there is immaturity, that there be growth. Okay, so imagine, if you will, that the soul is a house, a home. Reconciliation is when Jesus comes to live in the home. Restoration is when he makes the home his. We're going to clean the kitchen. We're going to gut that. We're going to pull out that wall. We're going to paint that. Get that off the wall. How'd that get up there? We're going to go through the basement. We're going to go through the attic. We're going to move that. We're going to repair that. We're going to fix that. Reconciliation is when Jesus is invited and welcomed to live in the home. Restoration is the process by which he makes that home his. We can pray in general ways about this. In a few weeks, I'll talk to you about how we can partner with the Holy Spirit to pray more specifically. But here are some general ways that the Apostle Paul would pray for people. A lot of this comes out of 1 Thessalonians, uh, these prayer points, these pillars. And I've shared them with you at various times and various means in the past, but this might be a good reminder or a first here for you. When the Apostle Paul is praying, praying for, one of the things that he'll say is, I pray without ceasing. Here you can see in verse, night and day I'm praying. Part of his practice is, well, he just doesn't do this on Sunday morning, okay? This is an ongoing, unceasing habit. I am seeking and praying for the well-being of you all the time. All the time. Unceasing prayer. The Apostle Paul will describe his prayer for people as thanksgiving, not complaining. Thanksgiving and not complaining. That's important. I'm not complaining about this person. Complaining is saying, God, you're not involved in the process. Thanksgiving is recognizing that God's a part of the process. I might not understand to what scope or what capacity, but God, I know that you are involved in their life. I know that you are there. I know that you're hovering. I know that in Jesus' name, you are, there are things that you want to do. And God, I'm thankful for it. So God, I'm, just, I'm joining with that because I pray with great thanksgiving for you. He'll pray community for that person to see them face to face. Why? Because the Christian faith is a communal faith. It's not an individual faith. The Christian faith is a communal faith. It's not an individual faith. Jesus Christ came to save us. Not you. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We have been habituated by our American culture to put ourselves at the center of the Christian faith. It's this real sick, twisted, narcissistic understanding of the gospel. Jesus came to create a people, 
you have been invited to be a part of that. It's one of the reasons we fight for life groups so much. Okay, we have life group signups up there. They're getting ready to launch. We have a new life group for guests if you want to learn a little bit about community. We have over 100 adults signed up at House on the Rock to participate in life groups. That's awesome. That's awesome. In a church of 253 people, the fact that 100 adults have signed up to be a part of community is legit. That's a working of the Spirit. That's a working of the Spirit. Why? Because we need to be in community. And so the Apostle Paul, he'd pray community for people, that we be together face to face. And then he'd pray for these four specific things. You see this in the letter to the Thessalonians, that their faith would increase. Their faith would increase. So if we're thinking about a house, let's think about each room set apart and Jesus being invited to participate in each room as he comes to it. Hey, can I come into this room? Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, can I come into this room? Absolutely, absolutely. Can I come into this room? Do you have to? Yeah. Paul, you do know I know what's on the other side of that door, right? I know, but I like to pretend that their faith would increase, that God, the Spirit, would have more and more access, more and more access to that life. Their faith increase. And he says, I want their love to increase. If I'm praying for restoration, I want their love to increase. That's the light and the warmth of the home increasing and going out to the world. That their love for one another would increase. I pray that over our fellowship all the time. God, would we become a more loving, loving people? I was praying that this morning. God, as soon as people pull into the parking lot, would they sense your loving presence? That you are devoted to them. May their love increase. Faith increase, love increase. May their humility increase. So that when Jesus bumps up to a room in that house, we don't close doors. We open them up. That Jesus knows what's best. If there's things that have to be changed, as we hear God's word, that we be humble to that. May their humility Increase. I pray that over our church family. Join me in praying over our church family. As we hear the word of God proclaimed, as the Spirit says something, that somebody will be obedient to it. May their humility increase. Then fourthly, may their holiness increase, he prays. This is all part of someone's restoration. Holiness. That sin and corruption be removed. And that home, that life shine with the light of the Spirit. I want to illustrate this by a story in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 5 to kind of tie it all together, to kind of give you a story to hang this theology on, okay? In Luke chapter 5, it's a story that might be very familiar to many of you, but I think it's going to help us put some things in perspective. Luke chapter 5, a paralyzed man is brought before Jesus. Think about reconciliation, think about restoration, Think about prayer and interceding. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 17 through the end of this section down through 26. Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. You guys good? All good? Randy, you good? All right. Sherry, you good? Anybody have any questions so far? Then you want me to go back over? I'm going to start landing the plane. All right. 
You're allowed to ask. Just saying. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee, Judea, from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. That's the Spirit hovering, ready to restore. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles and in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority. You learned about authority. Authority is the ability to make decisions, give commands. Authority on earth to forgive sins, reconcile. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Restore. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, went home, glorifying God, shining a light upon God's goodness. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me just highlight a few things. And you've heard this story before maybe. As we think about interceding prayer. This man is paralyzed. What's paralyzed him? I don't know. He can't move. He can't get closer to Jesus. He can't grow. He cannot do that which he was created to do. He cannot embody that which he was created to embody. He cannot participate in ministry, service, restoration. He can't do what he as an image bearer of God was created to do. He can't do it on his own. Something has so gotten a hold of him that he cannot proceed. Someone else must bring him to Jesus. That's interceding prayer. I will bring this person to the Father and I have access in Jesus' name. I will bring this person, this paralyzed person. I don't know. I think their marriage is paralyzed. I think, I think their past is paralyzing them. I think their presence is paralyzing them. We'll talk about listening and discerning in the Spirit. How the Spirit will actually guide you to help you know, oh, it's this, oh, it's this. As the Spirit prays for, prays with, prays through you. It says that Jesus saw whose faith? Whose faith? Their faith. Not the man's faith, but whose faith? Their faith. Notice the priority. Which one comes first? Reconciliation 
or restoration? Reconciliation. The priority of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that the relationship be reconciled. We get hung up and chase after the fun restoration part. We want to see the house pretty. God cares about who owns the house. Maybe you didn't know this. I don't want to break your heart, but I will. We're all terminal. We're all terminal. None of us is getting out of this alive. Yet we will prioritize God heal this. And God's like, I really need to heal this. Are there examples and spaces in scripture where we see God in his graciousness restoring someone physically? Yeah, we do. We do. But the priority is what? God saves their soul. God saves their soul. You have someone like King Hezekiah who has a terminal disease and cries out to God, will you please give me more time? Give me more time. And the prophet comes and says, yep, God will give you a few more years. But guess what happened after that? He still died. Why? Because we're all terminal. Lazarus! Talk about an emotional roller coaster. He literally comes back to life but still had to do what? died again. So we pray for restoration, but the priority is what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. That the glory of God would be revealed in him. So that you could live in such a way, I'm asking God to heal my cancer. And I don't have cancer, me personally, I'm saying God, I'm asking that you'd heal my cancer, but more so that no matter what I do, you'd be glorified through it. You'd be glorified through it. Because I know I'm your child. I know I am loved. I know, I know who has the deed of this house. On the back of your notes in the bottom is a space for five names. Who are five individuals that you know need reconciliation or restoration? Maybe both. Write their names down. Who is someone that the Holy Spirit's bringing to you? You write down a name. You write down a name. And you're like, I'm not writing down that name. You better write down that name. Write it down. I want you to do it. Okay? You need to do it. Spirit, who are you hovering over, longing to breathe life into? Who needs reconciliation to be born, a new creation in Christ, to, to be restored, Father? Who is someone? Write down the name. Write down the name. Five names. Okay. 
Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We've been learning to do this, practicing to do this. We're going to speak. We're going to pray these things out loud. Okay? You have names, individuals, souls. Remembering what I said, what C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every soul is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Let's hold these names up. Maybe you want to start with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you just want to hold up these names individually. Maybe you know some specifics that you're going to pray for. Maybe you know specific aspects of restoration that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to turn off my microphone so that I don't speak over top of you. We're just going to let our, pri- our prayers rise up to God. And then I'm going to ask Doug to come up and he's going to help us come to the table. But l- let's pray together. You're on online. If you're online, you, you pray too. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.